Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at the second half of verse 2. Uh, in four weeks, I have successfully or will have successfully covered two verses out of Romans chapter 5, but um, it, has been, um, it has been an exciting series for me even as I've been uh, preparing for these messages and really, really examining what it looks like to live this new life in Christ. And, and I know oftentimes as human beings, we like to talk about you know, what is the benefit for me? And the beauty regarding this new life in Christ is really outside of our obedience, we bring nothing to the table, but we get all the benefits. And, and we've been talking about that over the last few weeks, and we're going to continue that today. And, and today we're going to look at a future benefit um, that is ours in Christ and the hope that we have in sharing one day in God's incredible glory. Uh, so we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, looking at verse number 2. Romans chapter 5, verse number 2. It's also up on the screen. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. So we talked about last week, we talked about the continual, ongoing access that you and I have into God's presence. But then listen to what Paul says, the second half of this verse. He says, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. I want to say that one more time. I love actually how the New Living Translation kind of expands upon this statement. It's not just... Um, the hope that we have, but he describes it, Paul does, he says, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. The word hope is a word that I think all of us are pretty well acquainted with, especially in our culture today. Uh, up until the last few weeks, I think most of us, would argue most of us in this room, we were hoping for warmer weather. <laughs> and finally, God heard our cries, and he said, here you go. Now, there were a few, of, few weeks where God teased us, you know, with a day of 70-degree weather, and the next day it snowed outside. But I think all of us are well acquainted with that desire, that hope for warmer weather. As a kid, I remember... Maybe your kids do this. Maybe you still do this today, but I remember as a kid, especially around the Christmas season, um, I was always hoping for that special gift to be under the tree when I woke up Christmas morning. Whether it was a toy, whether it was a baseball mitt, whether it was an electronic device, a book, whatever it may be. But as a kid, I remember, you know, Christmas Eve going to bed and hoping that when I woke up the next morning that what I was longing for would be present in front of me. For years, Cubs fans hoped. <laughs> Browns fans are hoping <laughs> for the day, for the year, that it will be their year to win it all. I think it's also safe to assume in this room that all of us are hoping sooner rather than later 
that we will see a decrease in gas prices. Can I get an amen? (laughs) But we're all hoping for something. But what's interesting is all of these human hopes that we have, they are never certain. In many cases, they are extremely doubtful. For several weeks, we hoped for warmer weather, and all we got was cold temperatures. For several years, the Cubs hoped that it would be their year, and it wasn't. I'm hoping that's not the case when it comes to gas prices, but the reality is all of those human hopes, they're not certain. And in some cases, they may be far off. This is not the case when we talk about Christian hope. When I talk about Christian hope, we're talking about something different, something that is certain, something that is sure. It is unlike any human hope or earthly desire. Christian hope, I want you to hear this this morning, it is guaranteed. It is certain. You can go to the bank on that hope. I want to put something up on the screen, and this is really the jump-off point, and I actually shared this on Facebook this morning because this is really, as we consider this Christian hope, this is the core of what we're going to focus on this morning. Christian hope, it rests not on the fickleness of human guarantees, but instead on the certainty and trustworthiness of God's faithful promises. Christian hope rests not on the fickleness of human guarantees, but on the certainty and trustworthiness of God's faithful promises. I want you to hear this this morning. You can absolutely, with confidence and with assurance, you can go to the bank on the promises of God. Every promise that you find in Scripture, you can be certain that God will fulfill that promise. Some of those promises have been fulfilled. Some of those promises were still waiting for their fulfillment in Christ when he returns. But you can go to the bank that the word of God is 100% true. A couple writers said this. They said, whereas for the English speaker, hope may imply doubt. For Paul, it implied, look at this, certainty. There was no doubt in Paul's words when he declared that we can confidently and joyfully share in God's glory. For him, it was certain. He went to the bank on that promise. That's why Paul is able to pen those words. We confidently look forward to sharing in God's glory. Why was he able to have such certainty? It's because Paul's hope was rooted and the promises of God's word. If our hope is rooted in some political leader or in some social figure or some human individual, then certainly we can have some doubts when it comes to that hope. But when our hope is rooted in the faithful promises of the God that we serve, then I'm here to tell you this morning, we can go to the bank on those promises because his word is true. This confident hope is one of the blessed benefits that you and I have the privilege of receiving when we have our new life in Christ. Over the last three to four weeks, we've looked at how our faith in Christ, it moved us, remember, it moved us from being enemies of God to friends of God. Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, I can have what? Peace with God. 
We looked at just last week that our faith in Christ, it gives you and me present and continual access into the presence of God. And now today we will see that our faith in Christ, it gives us a confident and sure hope that we will one day, we will one day share in God's glory. This hope is what I wanna take just a few moments to explore today. I wanna talk about this hope that Paul refers to in Romans chapter five. Number one, the object of our sure hope is the future guarantee that believers will share in the glory of God. Of God. We have something to look forward to. There is something beyond this life that we are living here on earth. That's why Paul was so passionate about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because he knew that if people were living for the here and now, that there was no hope for them. He wanted them to be certain that if they lived for Christ, that there was a hope beyond this life in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul is able to declare in Romans 5, he says this again, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Now, I want to talk about this, and I want you just to, to tune in to me for a few moments this morning. I'm going to enter into teaching mode just for a moment because we, we throw out some of these phrases or these words, and we talk about sharing God's glory, but what is the glory of God? Because that is something that I think if somebody on the street were to ask you, what's God's glory? I think we would probably stutter a little bit trying to describe and explain something that really in human words could not be described or explained in the first place. So I want to talk a little bit about the glory of God just for a moment. And I think I made the point already. It's difficult and near impossible to clearly define the glory of God. Now, how many of you in this room know what this is? I think most of us do. It's fair to say that even if we've never touched one of these things, we know what it is. If I were to say to you or ask you the question, what is a basketball? I think most of us in this room could do a pretty fair job of describing this item, this object. And, and, and for various reasons, I could describe to you, and I know they come in various colors these days, but typically speaking, generally speaking, it's orange. It has, you know, the black lines. It's a, it's a, a circle, not really a circle, a sphere um, uh, object. Um, it, it bounces. And I can, if I really am struggling at describing what a basketball is, I can just simply hand you the basketball and say, here's, here's what it is. You can feel it. You can hold on to that for me. Thank you. You can feel it. Can't take it home though, all right? <laughs> you can feel it. You can touch it. It's tangible. And so already your mind can begin to grasp what a basketball is. But if I were to say to you, describe to me the word beauty, we would struggle. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily have a tangible object that I can put in your hands and really, honestly, all of us in this room, it's a little bit more subjective when we talk about beauty. And so when we try to, when we try to explain something that's more subjective, that's not as tangible, it's a little bit more difficult to do. And the same is true when it comes to the glory of God. Not only is it not as tangible and maybe more subjective, but we're talking about the creator of the universe, who is transcendent. He is above and beyond human space and time, and he is holy. And so to try to describe and explain God and his glory is near impossible, but not completely impossible. 
Christopher Morgan in the Gospel Coalition, this is his definition. He says, the glory of God is the magnificence, worthy, loveliness, and grandeur of his many perfections, which he displays in his creative and redemptive acts in order to make his glory known to those, I should say, I'm sorry, in his presence. It's kind of a mouthful, and still, I think we, we struggle to understand what is God's glory. I want you to watch, I think it's just about a three-minute video clip. John Piper does a pretty good job of explaining and describing the glory of God. So let's listen to that clip what this morning. What is God's glory? Wow. That's a good question because we talk about it endlessly, don't we? And, and we should know what we're talking about. And yet it's very difficult to define. I'll, I'll make a stab at it. And the reason it's so important is because in the Bible, I, I don't know of any truth um, that is more fundamentally pervasive than God's zeal to be glorified. It's amazing. Which means his zeal for us so to think, so to feel, and so to act as to make him look as glorious as he is. We don't add to his glory. So we want to make God God's glory shine. We want to make it visible. Um, let your good deeds, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the goal of my life should be to, to so live that when people know me well enough, they would say, God is glorious. Not John is glorious. God is glorious, which is probably why God lets us sin as much as he does. But that, that's another question. What is it? I believe the glory of God is the, the going public of his infinite worth. I define the holiness of God as the infinite value of God, the infinite uh, intrinsic worth of God. And when that goes public in creation, the heavens are telling the glory of God and human beings are manifesting his glory because we're created in his image and we're trusting his promises so that we make him look gloriously trustworthy. The public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God is what I mean by glory. And I base that partly on um, Isaiah 6, where the seraphim say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his, and you would expect them to say, holiness. And they say, glory. They're saying, they're ascribing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his and when that goes public in the earth and fills it, you call it glory. So God's glory is the radiance of his holiness, the radiance of his manifold, infinitely worthy, valuable perfections. God's glory. Just simplify what John Piper declares this morning, says that God's glory 
is the going public of the holiness of God. He refers to Isaiah chapter six, verse three. Remember when the seraphim are gathering around and Isaiah has this vision and they're around the throne of God and then what are they doing? They're declaring holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. God's glory is the holiness of God on display. The holiness of God for you and I to see, to grasp, to begin, not to fully, but to begin to understand. It's the going public or the radiance of the holiness of God. So where is this glory? Where is God's glory on display? And let me just give these to you quickly this morning. Certainly, the glory of God has been revealed throughout creation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God and the skies display his craftsmanship. And, and I think certainly if you've ever, you know, at night you looked up and you see the stars or maybe you've been to the beach and you just look at the, the shoreline and you begin to see that you cannot see any further. The, the heavens, the skies, his creation is declaring, is declaring the glory of God. Isaiah 6, 3, as I already referred to, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. His glory was uniquely manifest in Jesus, the incarnate word of God. John 1.14 says, so the word became human. The word became flesh and made his home or his dwelling among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And listen to what Jesus says. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. John 2, verse 11, this is the first miracle that Jesus does that is on record in John's gospel. And after this miracle unfolds where he turns water into wine at this wedding feast, it says this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus did what? The first time he revealed his glory. The holiness of God was on display for those present at that wedding feast to begin to see, and it was on display in the means of the glory of God being revealed. His glory was most notably on display in his death and in his resurrection. John chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus replied, now the time has come for what? For the Son of Man to do what? Enter into his glory. Later in John 17, after saying all these things, Jesus, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. But though the glory of God is clearly or has been clearly displayed in creation and in the incarnate word of God or in his death and in his resurrection, the reality is his glory has not yet been fully disclosed. Yes, we, we get a taste of his glory as we gaze upon his beautiful creation. We get a taste of his glory as we open the pages of scripture and we read about his death and his resurrection. And certainly as we share together in communion, we, we get a taste of his glory, but it's not yet fully revealed. There's still an aspect of his glory that we're longing for. And there is one day coming. The curtain will be raised and that his glory will be fully disclosed. It's as if 
the curtain is starting to raise and go to the top, but it's, it's only halfway there. So we only get a taste of his glory, but there is a day coming. There's a day coming when that curtain will reach the top and when we will fully see, understand, and experience the fullness of God's glory. The hope Paul has that he refers to in Romans chapter five is in that one day when his glory will be fully revealed. Stay is yet to come. We've not yet experienced that day, but what will that day look like? And certainly we can at a level only begin to imagine and, and I can't uh, even describe what that glorious day will one day look like, but scripture does give us a hint into what that day will look like. Jesus will appear in great power and splendor. Mark 13, then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. Titus 2, verse 13 says, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. And not only will we see his glory, but you and I on that day, we will be changed into that glory. Look at what, John says, 1 John 3, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him for we shall see him as he really is. So you and I, we, we are children of God now when we place our faith and trust in him. We have new life in Christ, but it does not yet appear what we shall be But when we see him face to face, we will be changed into that glory for we will see him as he is. Colossians 3, Paul says, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, he says, you will share in all of his glory. You and I, when we were created, we were created to bear the perfect image of a perfect and holy God. Sin marred that. Sin marred that, that perfect image that we were created in and caused every single one of us, all of humanity, to fall short of doing what we were called to do. Westminster Catechism, I've referred to it often, the very first line, what is the purpose of man? The chief end of man is to do what? To glorify him and enjoy him forever. And so you and I, we were created in the image and likeness of God. And we were created to represent, to glorify him, to bear the perfect image of Jesus Christ. Sin marred it. We all fall short. But there is new life available. And when we experience that new life in Jesus Christ, there is a day coming where you and I will share in his perfect glory once again. What else will this day look like? We also know that not just humanity, but all of the groaning creation, and you heard about it in our call to worship this morning, all of the groaning creation will finally be liberated from its bondage. Look at Romans 8, verse 21. This is just a foretaste of what that will look like. The creation, all of God's creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So this is good news, not just for humanity, 
This is good news for all of God's creation. It wasn't just humanity that was marred because of sin. His creation was marred. Sickness and sin and disease, all of those things entered into the equation. But there is a day coming when all of the groaning creation will finally be liberated from its bondage. You and I, we have the privilege in sharing in this future inheritance. And this is why this hope is a blessed benefit of our life in Jesus Christ. Number two, this confident hope. This is pretty simple this morning, but I think it's important for us to remember this confident hope that you and I will one day share in the glory of God. It cannot be realized apart from Jesus Christ. There is no other way to have this blessed benefit put into our account apart from Jesus. It's pretty simple, but I think we need to grasp this this morning. Jesus says, or Paul says once again, through him, through Jesus Christ, we have and we rejoice in this confident hope. Again, and I've said this the last several weeks, it applies to our access to God. It applies to peace with God. It applies to our justification but our good works, our attendance at church, how much money we put in the, uh, the, the, the bags that pass us or online, none of that gives us access or peace with God. And it also doesn't give us that hope. Certainly all of those things are byproducts of our new life in Christ, but this confident hope cannot be realized apart from Jesus. Sharing in God's glory is possible because of Christ, because of what he did at Calvary because of his death and his resurrection. And because of that and his ascension, you and I can one day be certain that we will share as believers in that hope. Sharing in God's glory is experienced only through Jesus. This hope does not exist if I fail to step into Christ. I want you to get this. If I, if I don't place my faith and trust in Jesus and I put all of my eggs in the basket of I'm going to live my life for here and now. And folks, that's all we're ever going to experience until one day Christ returns and then we will be separated from his eternal presence. And we certainly do not want to experience separation eternally from God. As believers, we're not living for the here and now. Certainly, certainly we want to have great experiences here on earth. Certainly we, we want to have good things happen. Certainly we want to try to live a great life, but, but we're not living for this life. Paul talks a lot about uh, where our citizenship resides. Where does it reside? It resides in heaven. That's why Paul, even when he was persecuted, even when he was being stoned and, and when he was being ridiculed, that's why he was still able to preach the good news of Jesus Christ because he knew whether he lived or died, it didn't matter because one day he would spend eternity in God's presence. He was certain of that hope. And it was that hope that enabled him to continue to do what God called him to do. We must choose Christ. There's no better choice. When we choose Christ, we get peace with God. When we choose Christ, we get access into his presence. And when we choose Christ, you and I have this hope, this certainty, unlike any human hope, that one day we will share in the glory of God. It's worth it. It's worth every ounce of it. Paul will, and I'll refer to this, I'll go ahead and refer to this now, number three, 
kind of jumping the gun here. This hope of sharing in God's glory is what enables you and me to endure present sufferings and hardships. The fact that there is one day coming, a day where disease and sickness and godlessness does not exist, is what enables us as believers to endure presently the hardships and the troubles that we are presently experiencing. Listen to what James has to say. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance is a chance to grow. Let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. How many have that written or that tagline on the back of your car? (laughs) It's a bumper sticker. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Not something we often shout about, but we're able. You and I are able to consider trials and hardships joy presently because we are looking forward to a day, one day, when that will no longer Exist. Suffering and hardship do exist now. And I want you to hear that this morning. Uh, there, there are, I don't think I would call them theologies, there are understandings out in the world today that say, you know, once you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, no more hardship, you know, no more disease and no more sickness and no more suffering. And, and certainly we would long for that to be true, but that's not biblical. Here on earth, all of those things do still exist. Disease, poverty, persecution, emotional battles, whatever it may be, they do exist now. Faith in Christ does not result in the elimination of suffering on earth. That's not biblical. Look at Jesus. Look at Paul. Look at the disciples. They followed Christ passionately, but was their life void of hardship and suffering? Certainly not. That is not biblical. But, but our faith in Christ, listen to this, it guarantees a future day where no suffering is present and and where we will share in God's eternal glory. How many are looking forward to that day? So suffering and hardship, and and, and I hope this does not disappoint you this morning, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, that doesn't just disappear here on earth. That's not biblical. But we do presently have access into God's presence where he gives us grace and mercy to help us in our hardship and in our trouble. And when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we also have a a certain confident hope that one day when Christ appears, we will share in his glory. And in his glory, there is no suffering. There is no pain. There is no disease. There are no emotional barriers. No matter what it may be in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Our faith in Christ guarantees that future. That is the hope that Paul refers to. And finally, number four, and I'm not gonna make really any comment here other than this hope, this hope that we have of sharing in the glory of God, it will not disappoint. Human beings, friends, they will break their promises. They will disappoint. 
Fortunately, that's part of human nature. It's part of the curse, part of the fall. But God never disappoints. We can be certain today when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, the moment that that happens, you and I, we can be certain that even though we may face hardship and struggle and adversity here and now, folks, this is not all that we're living for. There is a day coming when Christ appears and when we, and when we see him, we shall be as he is. And there is a day coming that we will share in the glory of the glory of God. This hope is not about what might happen, but what is guaranteed for the believer. What I'm talking about, what Paul refers to, is not something that, well, I hope this happens. I hope that maybe one day I will share in God's glory. I hope it comes true. It's, it's not that kind of hope. It's not a hope that has doubt attached to it. It's a hope that is certain, that is sure, that we can have confidence. That's why he says, we confidently and joyfully look forward to the day that we will share in the glory of God. You can walk out of this room, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you can walk out of this room with complete assurance and confidence that you will one day share in God's glory. You don't have to, to just hope with a little sense of doubt behind it, you can have the certainty. Why? Because God's word is true and his hope does not disappoint. Paul says, yeah, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. There's a day coming, a day coming that you and I, I don't know when that day is, whether it's when I breathe my last here on earth or if the Lord comes before then and not here to tell you when that's going to be because I don't know. Jesus said he, the Father is the only one who knows. What I do know is we need to be ready. I need to make certain that my heart is right with God so that when I meet him, whether it's through my own death here on earth or whether it's through his return while I'm still living here on earth, that I can have that assurance and that confidence that I will get to share in the glory of God. What a beautiful day that will be.